Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Fuss. to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. <laughs> Someone's very chipper this morning. It's because I said that line and you said I sounded bored, so I re-recorded. <laughs> Coming up on today's show, why do we care so much about Kim Kardashian's spelling mistakes? Plus, the rise and rise of astrology amongst young women and why an airplane fight and plate of beef has seen Emma Thompson being labelled a first-class hypocrite. But first, Michelle, how was your week? This week has been manic. Mm-hmm. I am stunned that I'm not sick. I, I think know. I've been saying to you for at least, oh, we'd be coming up onto a, about a month now <laughs> where I've turned to you. I'm like, Zara, I'm getting sick. You know that sick feeling in the back of your throat? I have it. I've had that feeling for a month. I was so sure that we'd get to the end of Mechaland and my entire body would crash. Somehow it is holding on for dear life. I wish we could touch wood right now. I can right behind me because I feel like the same, but I actually feel like maybe I'm starting to get sick now. I don't know. Yeah, it's been a pretty like rough and tumble. Oh, I just oh my goodness, (laughs) it's been a pretty rough week. We've been working. Heaps and heaps and heaps. I don't think we've actually said this on the podcast yet, but we are actually taking a two-week break in June to make some way to make way for some other projects. Yes. Hint, 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 hint. hint. <laughs> so we are kind of careening towards this break date, and we need to get a certain amount of work and stuff done before we go away. And you hop on a flight, Zara, and it's been an interesting week trying to get all that done. I do love us writing lists of everything that needs to get done, and we're like, oh. Our Google calendar is a fucking nightmare. Uh, I think I've complained before about that meme that says you've got as many hours in a day as Beyonce, so get moving. Because we do essentially have the same amount of hours in a day as Beyonce. We just don't have as much money. Or team members. Team. It's just you and me, hun. <laughs> we love each other very much. <laughs> Apart from that, it's been a good week. I've started reading Conversations with Friends, ah. which is Sally Rooney's first book. Of course, we've spoken about this on the podcast before, but we absolutely adored Normal People by Sally Rooney. I think it's one of my favorite books ever. So Conversations with Friends is proving to be just as entertaining and a little bit saucier. Really? Maybe. Yeah. it's Saucier in terms of sex. Because she writes sex well. Yeah, she does write sex well. I think the the main plot point is quite saucy. I was a bit put off by this book because I remember on the high-low, Pandora and Dolly were debating whether Conversations with Friends was actually any good. Mm. And Pandora said she didn't like it. So I stuck to normal people. But maybe I'll read it. Maybe I'll try to take it away with me when you're done. I'm enjoying it so far, for sure. How was your week? We are currently sitting around a shrine or in a shrine. I don't know how to word to that. To ourselves. To ourselves, courtesy of David McDonald. <laughs> My dad <laughs> bought us balloons, printed out posters of ourselves. This actually looks incredibly nasty narcissistic with photos of ourselves around us, but I'm enjoying it. I really appreciate as well that he printed off massive posters of us, but in A4 sheets. He then had to stick the A4 sheets together. It's like a little 
little puzzle that he's it got up on the wall. It was a little puzzle. No, <laughs> so that's really exciting. I didn't even know where that photo was from or where he got that. Yeah, so it was one of us on stage after winning our award. Um, and I think he must have gone into the depths of the internet to find that one. <laughs> and my week otherwise was pretty good. Spent with you, which we love together. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and what would I recommend this week? I popped this one in the newsletter. It was a profile on glamour of Aurora Perinau. Oh, why do I recognise that name? Exactly. The Me Too movement. Keep going. Uh, she, oh God, she, acu- no, maybe someone accused her. She was involved in the Me Too movement. Exactly. And this is what I find incredibly interesting about this profile and would really, really deeply recommend it. Aurora Perinau accused girls writer and director Murray Miller of sexual assault many years ago. Okay, yes, and I remember this. And people might remember this case in particular because Leonard Dunham and Jenny Connor came out and said that this was one of the 3% of rape accusations that were fake. Ugh. And a massive storm and controversy sort of blew up after that because I think for someone like Lena Dunham to come out and say stuff like that as a very high-profile feminist, people felt very betrayed by. And suddenly Aurora's name was thrown in the mix. People forgot who she was, what her job was, the fact that she was actually trying to make it as an actress. And instead, and a beautiful quote from this glamour piece was, she became a footnote in someone else's public narrative. Wow. And this was a really brilliant piece. It was titled, Allow Aurora Perinau to Reintroduce Herself. And obviously it touched on the controversy because it had to, because it's a huge part of her public story now. But it also touched on the work that she's done since and how this scenario and this event very nearly derailed her career. Interesting. And I think it's been so interesting that Lena Dunham has done a lot of work on her public image since that time and we've heard a lot from her about her reflections on that time but we actually haven't heard from the person that matters the most mm. all of our conversations have been around Lena Dunham and how conflicted we feel about her and her comments at that time I would really recommend this just so people can consider Aurora as an actress and as a woman in the industry rather than as a woman who was accused of lying about sexual assault. And a person who is more than that story. Totally. There would be so many layers behind Aurora apart from this very salacious, ridiculous one that hit the mainstream. I really want to find that. Where can I find it? So I will put the link in our show notes. It was also in our recommendations newsletter if you've signed up to that too. I'm not signed up. (laughs) (laughs) Should we get into the show? Yes, please. We are starting today with some spelling mistakes from one Kim Kardashian West. Yes. So Kim Kardashian posted on Instagram and after Kim Kardashian posted on Instagram, a wealth of articles came later saying Kim Kardashian posted an Instagram post with the most amount of spelling mistakes ever. (laughs) Bit of hyperbole because I think it had three spelling mistakes. She spelt aisle wrong. Yeah. So she spelt aisle as in walking down the aisle as I-S-L-A. Which is like... I guess Isle of Paradise we spoke about last week. That's yeah. the usage of it. Not It needs an A there, correct? Correct. The second one is my favourite one, where she was reminiscing on her wedding and the fact that Andrea Bocelli sang, but instead of saying Andrea Bocelli, she said Andrea Benelli. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if I'm just really tired <laughs> or if that's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. You know what this reminds me of? I love when people really revel in celebrity spelling mistakes. It reminds me of that scene in Sex and the City where Carrie did you watch Sex and the City? Uh, not that much, I have to admit. <laughs> so there's this one scene where Carrie has had her heart broken by Big, right? Yeah. And Big gets a new partner who is gorgeous and glamorous and basically looks like a supermodel, Natasha. And when Natasha invites Carrie to something, it might have been their engagement party or something like that, she wrote her a letter and said, we'd really love for you to be there and spelt there wrong. (laughs) And Carrie looks up and she's like, she's an idiot. And it was like the biggest point of jubilation and triumph that this woman might be super hot but she doesn't know there from there from there well there's something so funny about unfortunate typos like there actually is like there is something so funny about this caption more so when you're literally spelling the name of your wedding singer wrong and someone who's not anonymous like it's fucking andrea bocelli not andrea benelli um, is C even close to N on I phones? was thinking the same thing. I'd love to. Can I test it out while we're on yeah. it? Sorry, this is getting like wildly annoying for the listeners as we do stuff. Test out autocorrect and see if Bocelli. Okay. Bocelli so I'm testing out. I'm going to send it to you. Write so Bocelli and see what okay. it comes back as. Bocelli has come up as novello. <laughs> <laughs> and let me try again. Bo- Bo- Bocelli. Mind you, you are not a good and C, example. Okay. So C is three little 
letters away from N. So they're not particularly close and it's not an autocorrect thing. Maybe Kim Kardashian has really fat thumbs. Happy to have done the background research for y'all. I mean, y'all. I mean, you shouldn't be the one to be doing any background research because you are the worst at typos. I did a QA on my Instagram story earlier this week and someone said, What is Zara's worst habit? And I can't remember if I actually responded to it, but I responded in my head. You make typos like nothing else. Oh, actually, no, I think I said that you're so terrible with technology and you give up really quickly and it's annoying. <laughs> Please keep throwing floors at me. <laughs> but you are awful when it comes to typos. Oh, you terrible. almost can't get a word out that's spelled correctly on an iPhone. I feel like what we should do with the listeners is maybe just start screen grabbing some of our conversations where I don't even try to like fix them at all. No. I am very, very bad at typos. I don't think I'm terrible at spelling. I would hope I'm not a terrible speller as a writer. I think I'm a slightly better speller than you are. Potentially, but for me, it's an efficiency thing, I think, oh, okay. the typo thing. So mm-hmm. I'm very much, this is, this is how I'm trying to paint it anyway. I'm very much about efficiency, so I type as fast as I can, send it on, and people generally get the vibe. They get the gist of what you're saying. Okay, sure thing. I mean, isn't there also research that shows that if you do make typos and you do make spelling mistakes, that's no real indication of your IQ at all anyway? Completely. So I've been reading a lot about this. I, I mean, I know we meant to do a fun segment about this, but I went a little too deep on what have typos and spelling mistakes actually say about your intelligence because an article published in the business and professional communication quarterly so legit shows that recruiters can be really narrow-minded when it comes to spelling mistakes the researchers from the university of grenoble alps asked 536 professional recruiters to evaluate different job application forms and they consistently threw out application forms of people with typos however casey edwards from the sydney morning herald wrote an opinion piece about this and she quoted research dating back to the 1970s that shows there is no significant association between spelling ability and intelligence. Wow, that was quick. That was like a rapid fire recap. I realized how many notes I had down and it was all getting very dry, very fast. (laughs) It's funny that you say that because I think we have actually judged internship applications and general emails when they spell shameless wrong. We've had a few shamelesses. We've had a few I think that's different. I do think it's different. If you're applying for something and you're addressing us and Mm. shameless and you don't have the attention to detail to, to dispel those three words right, that says something about you. It was actually ridiculous when we worked at Mamma Mia how many people misspelled, really intelligent people misspelled the very publication that they were applying to. Yeah. Lots of people spelled Mamma Mia with two M's in the middle instead of M-A-M-A-M-I-A. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. I do think it's kind of an easy get, like a very cheap shot. And we do make it an inference about intelligence, particularly when it comes to people who are famous, who we don't think deserve to be famous. Mm. The Kim Kardashians, the Donald Trump. We revel when people like this make spelling mistakes because we think, well, they have all that fame, but at the end of the day, they're not that clever. Totally agree. It's not so much the misspelling of things. It's the confusing of entire concepts. So a major thing for me is when someone wants to say voila and says voila, like as in W-A-L-L-A-H, or when someone confuses he's with his. Yeah, small things like that. But do you think it's just incredibly classist? I don't know. I think there are certainly elements of like education here where we are a little bit, I say we here as probably you and me too, as being on our high horse a little bit or being able to kind of laugh down, which is a little troubling the more you think about it. I also wonder if typos and spelling comes down to how you were taught to read. I was taught to read because I have this (laughs) over the top obsession with efficiency and I want things to get done quickly and good enough rather than perfect and spending all day. (laughs) We're different with that. I'm a bit more perfectionistic. Yes. I'm happy for it to be good enough. I skim read almost exclusively. Like I read very, very quickly. And I think that's a reflection of my personality in that maybe I just want everything done very quickly. I'm happy to type really quickly and therefore I'm less concerned about the minutia and the detail underneath it so long as the big picture is fine. Yeah, I think also I was lucky to grow up with a speech pathologist mother who drummed in linguistics and syntax into me from a really, really young age. I remember distinctly my mum bringing up language cards and like quizzing us on the spelling of different words and what they mean and different grammar principles from a really young age. So it's kind of bitchy for someone like me where that's part of my career and it's really integral to what I do to look at someone where it really doesn't matter if they know the difference between defiantly and definitely. It really doesn't matter. It's kind of 
a little bit bitchy for me to point that out. We say that, and yet I will never not sometimes find this funny. <laughs> yes. Like, it's all well and good for us to sit here and be like, oh, it's quite troubling how we talk about this. But then there's like a sense of humor to it, too. I think there's... it just depends how you then vocalize that humor publicly. Yeah. Because it is kind of public shaming when you point out someone's spelling mistake when there's no real problem behind it. I think the difference in this Kim Kardashian caption coming back to it is it's kind of a bit mean to point fingers and laugh at her for spelling the wrong form of aisle because everybody spelled the wrong form of a word at some mm-hmm. point. It's much funnier for her to misspell Andrea Benelli because it was clearly a mistake <laughs> rather than an indictment on her knowledge. Like yeah. it was clearly just a mistake and an unfortunate one that just looks silly. And I think in that, in that context we can laugh at it. I say that having to justify why we've just spent the entire segment pissing ourselves at Andrea Benelli. <laughs> and I will kind of tip my hat to Kim Kardashian because there was a study or a little bit of research done by Grammarly. We use Grammarly. It's like a plug-in to use on your desktop to check your grammar, check your spelling. And they worked with Business Insider to come up with the best and worst culprits, celebrity culprits when it comes to spelling and grammar. Kim Kardashian was number one. She's the best when it comes to spelling and grammar amongst all celebrities that they looked at. Do you want to know the five worst? Sure. These aren't, I mean, these weren't exclusively the five worst. There was like a list of 10, but these are the most recognizable celebrities. So the worst of the worst celebrity when it comes to spelling is Snoop Dogg. (laughs) (laughs) Number two is Bruno Mars. Bruno. I know, Bruno. Number three, Kendall Jenner. I don't know why I'm not super surprised there, but I'm not super surprised. Interesting. Number four. Christina Aguilera. Christina. So disappointing. And rounding this out, Alicia Keys. I would not have picked it. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what makes a good or bad speller or good or bad with typos, but I know I'm one of them. So I I should be on that list of regular people with typos. (laughs) To round out this segment, we haven't done this before, but considering I'm now going to be sharing a remix of you every single week. Oh my gosh. I haven't listened to these yet. (laughs) Michelle has been, so Michelle and I share an email account for obvious reasons, but she's been liaising with listeners on her private (laughs) email account to get these made so that I'm not across them. We've currently had six sent through this week, or maybe seven, maybe seven. Oh one, one listener sent through about three. What a legend. Yeah. So if you do want to send me a remix before we play this week's remix of Zara saying, cash me outside, how about that? You <laughs> oh my God, can we remix that? <laughs> no, I'm running this segment. Yeah. You can email me at hello at michelleandrewscreative.com and we will give you a bit of a shout out. Today's one, who is this from? This is from Stephanie Alexopoulos. She is a freelancer and she works in music production. And she said, I hate slash love how much I enjoyed putting these together. <laughs> Lol. Are you ready, Zara? Cash me outside. 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 How about that? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I hate what my job has become. I went to university for this to have my words mashed up into remix, but I do love it. All right, it's time for the quick and dirty. (laughs) Stephanie, I will put your handle in the show notes for today's episode. If you guys aren't across this and you're a new listener, first of all, welcome. It's been a rough ride in this episode. I don't know how it's going to go. (laughs) Of course, the quick and dirty is where we give you guys a rough and tumble of the top five celebrity news stories of the week in case you were busy having a life. Zara, your first story for me. The first one, prepare to cringe at the project's woefully awkward Maggie Rogers interview. That is from Junkie. Were you across this? I was. I didn't actually know much about Maggie, Ro- Maggie Rogers. I don't know anything about music, which is very embarrassing. I have terrible music taste. Like mm-hmm. top 40 is what I can is, vouch for that. Yeah. Yes. So I sit at home writing and I just have the top 40 charts running through Spotify. <laughs> it's amazing that I pay for a subscription <laughs> given that. Anywho, I, I watched many different clips from this because it was all over my Facebook newsfeed. Yeah. Tommy Little's comment really didn't land well with listeners. I know that you're smirking at that name. <laughs> Do you have a bit of PTSD from Tommy Little? Yes, a lot. <laughs> I did kind of feel like maybe he was hardly done by. I think it's Tommy Little's job on that panel to bring a bit of humour, bring a bit of lighthearted banter. And I don't think it landed in this circumstance, but I also don't think that he's necessarily a bad TV personality for bringing this up. So for those who missed it, Maggie Rogers was on the project to talk about her new album, first of all, and also the fact that she had donated about $17,000 to an abortion charity to help women in Alabama. Yeah. The project panelists' questions to her largely centered for a big portion of the interview around Pharrell. 
Williams. Yes, Pharrell. And I don't think Maggie Rogers appreciated that because it's clearly a question that she's gotten lots over her career. I think Pharrell Williams was the first person to discover her. Yeah, quote unquote. And, yeah, and kind of send her into the stratosphere of music and success. And she didn't appreciate Tommy Little asking, what did he smell like? Well, I think much of the interview focused on her relationship with Pharrell. And she said, I've met the guy like two or three times. Mm. And I think it would be that frustrating idea that, yes, someone discovers you and does sort of launch your career. But after that, it's on you. And she's done a lot of the work since then. So she posted an Instagram saying, memo memo to journalists, I've met Pharrell Williams like two or three times. I don't know what he smells like. I agree in in this setting that Tommy Little's job is to crack the jokes. He's not a journalist. The other ones are the ones that are actually meant to redirect the conversation and make it about her music and her career and not the men in her life that have helped her. And I do think that Walid Ali did that. Walid Ali really pulled it back when he needed to and got it back on track to talk about her album, talk about her selling out the Sydney Opera House. There were other people there to do that. I don't think it's Tommy Little's job, nor should we expect it to be, to be asking the hard-hitting questions. That said... It was an awkward... It just... It was an awkward joke. I think it was the familiarity with that question, implying that she would know what he smells like. I don't know if there was like a weird sexual closeness connotation there that maybe people are reading into, but I guess asking what someone smells like is a bit odd. Yeah, and I feel like it's just a classic case of like jokes on live TV not landing because you spend so much time there. Like imagine if Mm -hmm. half the jokes we cracked were aired. Like we'd be in a world of trouble. Well, this is the thing, right? We've said things before where it's come out of our mouth and we've both looked at each other and gone, actually, we need to remove that from the podcast because that won't land well with everyone. Yeah, but we don't put ourselves in a scenario where we're on live TV for that reason because we know we wouldn't be very good at it. So (laughs) Speak for yourself, Zara McDonald. I'm so sorry about that. Number two, Jeffrey Rush is awarded two $2.9 million in the largest defamation payout in Australian history after actor offered to settle with newspaper for just 50 grand and an apology. That is from the Daily Mail. Pretty crazy. He literally offered that to the Daily Telegraph and said, as long as you publish an apology to me and pay me 50 grand, this will be done. And now they're paying him almost $3 million. I have a lot of feelings about this story, many of which I will not make public. What do you mean? Well, a $2.9 million payout in this industry is not good for anyone. It's not good for anyone, and it's really, really hard and in a similar vein to the Rebel Wilson case. I would be surprised if it stood at $2.9 million, like if this doesn't go to an appeal, because it's such a huge amount of money. I agree with that. But it does just terrify me, particularly when we're talking about cases of Me Too or sexual harassment and allegations of sexual assault. When this is why the Australian Me Too movement has not taken off because our defamation laws are so, so tight. It's very hard for journalists to write these stories, even with a defense of the truth, mm-hmm. and not be sued for defamation. Well, even Jeffrey Rush's lawyer said that they weren't after a $2.9 million payout. So it almost feels like this is not the result that anyone wanted from any side. Yeah, and so it will be interesting to see if it actually stands. Number three, Lisa Kudrow opens up about her body insecurity on the friend set. That is from Vogue. This was an interesting one. She came out on the Mark Maron podcast. I feel like Mark Maron is suddenly everywhere when I'd never really heard of him before now. Is that bad? I haven't listened to his podcast much at all, but I've heard, I've had it recommended to me so many times, particular interviews with different people. So in this particular interview with Lisa Kudrow, she said that compared to Jennifer Aniston and Courtney Cox, she just felt like really large and big and when she watched the first couple of seasons back she found like a mountain of a woman was her wording very oh, tiny yeah and so she said she went through massive body insecurity for the entire series because she couldn't really she never really felt comfortable in herself and it's funny because I do kind of get it I mean I'm way taller than five six I'm pushing 511 yeah. and often in photos with you I mean someone picked it up when we were at Mechaland I feel like I need to bend down and kind of awkwardly make myself a little bit smaller to fit into photos and not look awkward because sometimes when you're tall, you do feel really uncomfortable about that. Do you feel the same as yeah. being on the shorter side? Completely. I think you feel like the world's smallest human that you don't really fit in anywhere. <laughs> like you're like this tiny person that's always trying to get attention in photos. Mm. I think it depends on who's speaking because everybody has an experience where they don't feel comfortable, particularly mm. as a woman. I'm interested in how the feedback has been with regards to her comments because, I mean, understandably people can't come out and and slam her for having vulnerabilities about her body. But that said, it's always interesting when a straight, white, size eight woman comes Mm. out and says that she has issues. Mm. There's a lot of like skinny privilege going on there and it's a very hard terrain to navigate. Yeah, and it's something we probably need to flag as well because we are size eight white women as well. So I think what we and what Lisa Kudrow probably needs to grapple with, while totally legitimate, everyone's body concerns are totally legitimate, 
probably not as intense as when the entire society that you live in and function in is telling you that you're wrong when you are maybe overweight or particularly underweight too yeah particularly underweight as well so yeah I think it's all legitimate I think the feedback is always interesting in circumstances like this because you do need to make way for people's legitimate feelings at the same time as making another space for women who are even more marginalized yeah exactly it's like it all sits on a spectrum I guess and so long as someone is self-aware enough to see where they sit on the spectrum and that your concerns are less intense than the next woman's then that's okay very well put number four tarantino snaps at reporter during khan press conference did you see this slash hear about it no but i'm reading you got it from the sydney morning herald and i know that it's something about margot robbie because i saw them in photos together so please tell me so margot robbie quentin tarantino brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio stella huh yeah uh on the press tour at the moment because the premiere of once upon a time in hollywood has just aired right so they were at a press junket in khan and they were sort of at like one of the long tables where Mm -hmm. press just sit in there and ask questions and a female reporter put to Quentin Tarantino you have put Margot Robbie a very talented actor in your film but you haven't given her a lot of lines in the movie I guess that was a a deliberate choice on your part Ooh, cutting huh Quentin Tarantino does cop a little bit when it comes to conversations around the Bechdel test which is that measure of how much a woman is talking in a movie and when she is talking she's just talking about herself in relation to men men and he just sat there and said I reject your hypotheses, which I think is grammatically incorrect because there was only a single hypothesis. (laughs) Regardless, that's all he said. Wow. I reject your hypothesis. What frustrated me was that he didn't give anything else. So Margot Robbie then felt the need to step in and defend him. Him. What did she say? She said, well, when I took on the part, I knew that the role, and this is about Roman Polanski's rape allegation. Mm -hmm. She said, when I took on this part, I knew the character was going to be far more than just her lines. Like she played a different kind of part than the average character. And I understand what she's saying. And maybe that's true, but that was on him to explain that particularly when he has a not great track record, it's on him to make that argument rather than get Margot to have to do it for him. I wonder if she was the only Margot, (laughs) as if I know her first name based. I wonder if she was the only one on that panel, only woman on that panel as well. Well, I actually am not sure. I haven't seen like the wide mm. panning shot, but that's the, the thing that frustrated me. Like own the criticisms that are thrown at you and have something to say about them. And if you reject the hypothesis, explain why. Exactly. Give your reasoning, give your insight. If there's nothing to see here, tell us why there's nothing there's to see. There's something just a, like a little bit arrogant about sitting back and being like, I reject your hypothesis, but I refuse to explain why. God, how awkward. I know. Number five, Kylie Jenner celebrates the law of Kylie skin with an epic party worthy of an MTV special. That is Harper's Bazaar. Kylie skin. For strangely getting a bit of flack, although not strangely, I guess anything a Kardashian does is going to cop flack. Yeah, I don't know if the flack is justified in this circumstance. I think it's smart for her to launch a skincare line. She's got pretty good skin. I know that there'd be a whole lot of dollars being funneled into every pore on her face. But at the same time, Kylie Cosmetics has been a huge success. What's to say that Kylie's skin won't be the same? Well, if we're talking about big global brands and the rise of skincare amongst Gen Z, not millennials, but Gen Z, like young teenagers who are investing in skincare, who's who's marketing to them? Well, GoTo would be a big one back here. But GoTo are marketing also to, a, to an older kind of woman too. So a Frank Body who also True. do brilliant, brilliant work. But if we're talking on a global scale and someone who has the money behind them, like Kylie Jenner, nobody's really marketing to those teenagers. I mean, and then we get into another another conversation entirely about whether teenagers should be pressured to use skincare, et cetera, too. But I do kind of feel like there's a small gap in the market for this. Yeah, I did find it really intriguing that James Charles was in attendance at this launch yeah. party, given all the speculation that the Kardashians unfollowed him and that he was cancelled and everything that we covered in our segment last week. He was front and centre of this launch party and taking photos with Kylie and videos with Kylie. And he came out and said that the journalists who report that the Kardashians unfollowed him on Instagram were actually kind of making up bullshit. The Kardashians never followed him, but that doesn't mean they're not friends. It's so interesting to me, this comeback. I would fucking love to know who James Childs hired as his crisis management team because they have done an extraordinary job. Best in the world. Best in best in the entire world. And they obviously won't be well known. Like they'll be completely underground as crisis management teams often are. But they have managed to flip this to a point where he's completely back in public favour. His subscriber count's completely back, is it not? Uh, I'm looking at that right now. So he's back up to 15 million. So he went from just hit on 16 
He then declined down to 13, almost 12, and now he's back to 15. The way his team and he handled this situation and flipped the narrative so quickly and efficiently and completely is something to behold it was pretty incredible i think when you're looking that someone should be writing a thesis on this Um, and how he handled this totally hey that's all i've got for you thank you so much so astrology let's talk about it because it's everywhere it's on our facebook feeds on our instagram accounts and it's the kind of thing that at the moment nobody can escape so what's actually the deal why has astrology become so pervasive online and why do so many young women find solace in it michelle i'm interested in how you have always considered the practice of astrology because i just feel like it's this incredible social media and pop culture phenomenon at the moment well i totally agree with that it is a phenomenon and I am a born and bred cynic, I think. I think that comes down a lot to my dad. My mum's religious, but my dad is an atheist and is skeptical about lots of things that people flock to, I guess. So I grew up in a household where things like astrology were not mocked, but admonished for being pseudoscientific. For those who want a bit of background to this. Astrology isn't a science. There's currently no evidence that one zodiac sign actually correlates to their personality. And this info is from Julie Beck in The Atlantic, by the way. Astrology ascribes meaning to the placement of the sun, the moon, and the planets within 12 sections of the sky, the signs of the zodiac. It's based on where the sun was on your birthday, but also the placement of the moon and each other planet at the time and location of your birth adds additional shades to the picture of you painted by your birth chart. It's very interesting having done a lot of reading on this as someone who hasn't consumed any astrology in her entire life. Mm -hmm. It has not penetrated my radar at all. I'm not particularly interested in it. I'm not like particularly mocking of people that are interested in it. It's just not in my life. So having gone and done a massive deep dive on this for hours this week has been probably one of my favorite things to research in this podcast. I have found it so, so interesting. And this is someone who found articles about astrology completely eye roll because I could never understand how they got clicks. Well, here's the funny thing, right? I always saw astrology as a bit of a ridiculous hobby to have until I looked deeply Same. into it. And it was when we were at Mechaland actually, and we had lots of conversations with lots of really successful and interesting and different kinds of people. And the number of times that astrology and birth charts came up as a topic of conversation blew me away. I know that Gemma Watts, who was the co-host of Mechaland with us, is really into astrology and birth charts. And I look up to her in all facets of her career as well. So there are women who are very analytical and clever and switched on who flock to this stuff. And I want to know why. Well, you're a Pisces, right? I am a Pisces. I'm a Cancer. And I had absolutely no idea what any of that meant. So I started to look up the (laughs) the kinds of things that a Pisces likes and the kind of things that a Cancer likes. I'm super interested in the stuff that they've ascribed to you. Okay. Do you think it's accurate? I kind of do. (gasps) Pisces likes being alone. Not so much for you. That's not me at all. Music, romance, visual media, swimming, spiritual theme. Okay, maybe not so good. Okay, wait. I hate swimming. Yeah, I hate it. I saw romance in there. Okay, I'm a romantic. Yes, one. Pisces dislikes know-it-all, being criticised, the past coming back to haunt, and cruelty (laughs) of any kind. What are you trying to say? Tell me that's not bang on. Um. What was some of the negative? What was the first negative? You don't like know-it-alls. Oh, yeah, I guess that. But doesn't everyone not like know-it-alls? Okay. I, the other, the two that I thought was interesting is you don't like cruelty of any kind. Yeah, I hate cruelty. Exactly. I'm not sure. The past coming back to haunt. I mean, you're not so good with your ex-boyfriends. <laughs> no, no. But who, wait, hang on. Who loves seeing their ex-boyfriends and who loves cruelty of any kind? Yeah, okay. Also true. And maybe it was mine. What about yours? Cancer likes art, home-based hobbies, relaxing near or in water. Very true. Helping loved ones, a good meal with friends. Sarah, cancer who dislikes, doesn't like that stuff? Cancer dislikes strangers. Harsh. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, true. Any criticism of mom <laughs> and revealing a personal life. Okay, well, you, you definitely yeah. hate revealing your personal life. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Did you do any deep diving on what our star signs say about us before we actually get into the meat of this segment? Well, I mean, earlier in this episode, we were saying that you like to kind of skim the details and I like to be really perfectionistic yeah. and go to the nth degree. So you got our basic star sign reading. I did our birth charts for us. (laughs) Tell me. So when I asked you earlier this week what time of day you were born, I actually used that. I needed that for your birth chart. I'm going to read out. I had to call my dad for that and he goes, 
I don't know. <laughs> He's like, let's shoot for 1 a.m. <laughs> Third child syndrome. Well, that's what we use. I'm going to read out our birth charts to you and you can tell me which one you think is which. Okay, great. Option one. I'm going to read these. She weighs words carefully and can be tenacious, a calm and discreet nature, tender, thoughtful, sensitive and impressionable. You need activity and a change of scene often or you feel restless. You take pride in your mental agility and your friendships. Possible issues. She is humble timid, changeable, indecisive, lazy, or oversensitive. Okay. Do you feel like that's me or you so far? Can you tell me the other one? Because I want to compare the two. Option two. She is compassionate and sentimental. <laughs> she likes, this is easy. She likes isolated occupations, administration, archives, history. She has a spirit of self-sacrifice. <laughs> the urge to work towards a goal for success and accomplishment is part of her makeup. Potential issues. Tendency to be led astray. Lack of experience or inability to apply experience practically. Lethargy, oversensitivity, and emotionalism. So I'm going to say that's you. (laughs) And me, mine is actually not so far off. I do need activity. I often need a change of scenery. I get very restless. Yeah, they do describe us pretty well, which is the bizarre thing, right? Am I... I'm. Am I timid? I mean, it depends on the circumstance. I'm I'm occasionally indecisive socially. I am definitely oversensitive. But the thing that got I me for sometimes yours... Sometimes manipulative. <laughs> the thing that got me for yours... I didn't include that because it felt me. Yeah. The nah, thing that fine. got me for yours was that you take pride in your friendships, which is incredibly true. Yeah, no, I definitely... No, you're absolutely right. They are like a huge priority for me. Isn't this interesting? So two people who are incredibly cynical with regards to astrology and how it's sort of infiltrated social media once again, and an entire generation of women. I'm interested in the fact that that does feel kind of accurate. And maybe that's just us projecting, looking at it, saying, well, you can kind of find meaning in anything. But I was reading the same piece that you read from The Atlantic Mm -hmm. about this, which is a really good story. And The Atlantic quoted a small 1982 study by the psychologist Graham Tyson, who found that people who consult astrologers did so in response to stresses in their lives, particularly stress linked to the individual's social roles and to his or her relationships. So I'm super interested in this idea that astrology has sort of become more prevalent the more stressed we've gotten and that people are trying to find meaning in that stress. And I really liked this line here that it's linked to the individual social roles or to his or her relationships Mm -hmm. in that I feel like we're always trying to make sense of the relationships around us and our role in those relationships. And we're going to astrology to do that because we're more stressed than ever. I totally agree. Well, survey data from the American Psychological Association has said that since 2014, millennials have been the most stressed generation and also the generation most likely to say their stress has increased over the past year. So we are so stressed and to cope with this stress and figure out our place in the world, we are going to different sources of spirituality, whether it be yoga, or it be uh, astrology or even psychics. I think our generation does really look to these spheres to inform ourselves about who we actually are because we're all fucking confused. We don't know who we are. I feel like it ties in very neatly with this idea that we are feeling kind of disconnected in a hyper-connected world and incredibly displaced. Like we don't know where we fit. We don't know what anything means. We don't know what our role is. And we often feel overwhelmed by the world and our place within it. And I think that is more pronounced in a digital realm where we're all trying to fit in boxes and Mm. fit somewhere. And most of us don't know where we fit. I am curious. Going through your early 20s, and I mean, we've said you went through a breakup earlier this year, has there been a time when you felt untethered and you've wanted to go to something like astrology to find your place? No, not astrology, but there are certainly times that I've felt untethered. So maybe I answered that question backwards in that yes, but not astrology. Mm. I was actually thinking as we were prepping for this segment that I don't know where I go or what I do when things turn to shit. I do. You go for a run. Yeah. I mean, I guess I go for a run, but I don't have much religion in my life. I don't have much spirituality in my life and I'm looking for it. I just don't really know where to find it. I don't think I'm a complete cynic when it comes to religion or spirituality. In fact, I have seen people around me reap the benefits of it and Mm. I'm kind of desperate for that too, I think, because I'm always looking for some kind of meaning. But I do wonder if shit really hit the fan and things went really badly in my life. I mean, I have okay relationships with my family and friends, but where else can I source that resilience from? And that's what I found most interesting about digging into astrology because I wonder where I'll find that. See, it's so interesting to me because as one of your closest friends, I see your friendships as kind of like your religion and your spirituality. Maybe, And maybe I'm looking at it from an incredibly narrow-minded way. 
But I think it has brought up this idea of religion and spirituality for me. I don't know if it has for you Mm. because millennials more and more aren't aren't very religious. I mean, I was raised in a Catholic household. So were you. Mm. We are not particularly religious at all. And it's across the board. I think this is an American study, but I think it reflects very clearly how young people's faith in religion is dropping in that the majority of Americans now believe it's not necessary to believe in God to have good morals. Um, And that's according to the Pew Research Center. The Mm. percentage of people between the ages of 18 and 29 who never doubt the existence of God fell from 81% in 2007 to 67% in 2012. You can imagine how much that's fallen since then. Yeah, well, there's a great quote from Hannah Ewens that said, ultimately, it's a grasping for control when we have none. Women and queer people are drawn to astrology because it offers community a refuge, something to lean on during a time in which religion has taken a backseat. And it's interesting. I've been through different points of turbulence during Mm. my early 20s. And when I think about it, I mean, it's very human to want to grab onto something to connect with it when you're going through a tough time. When my mum lost her father, she was just a teenager. She was still in high school. I think she was in year 12. And that's when she found her religion. She's a very strong Catholic. And I think she really was pulled towards God or what her idea of what God is in that time. And I wonder if my mum was going through that in 2019 as a young person, if she would gravitate towards the Catholic church or to another form of spirituality. And I wonder if I put that to her that she would totally reject that. And she's probably listening to this and she might be shaking her head right now. But it is a really interesting point. When I've gone through really hard times. I don't know what I've gravitated towards. I actually think it might be my career in that I find a deep sense of fulfillment, particularly in building a community. I feel like I get a deep sense of fulfillment out of this shameless community that we've built. And to me, that is kind of a sense of spirituality that you can have a sisterhood and you can connect and thrive and share stories and not feel judgment. And that for me is where I get that. I think I'd have to agree with that. And I think it's about flipping this conversation about religion because I have had so many debates with my mom over the years about religion and how she has said completely respectfully, are young people missing something that she's always had in in being able to turn to something? And maybe it's a sense that we all have our spirituality and our religions. I'm just not defining them in a good way. When I said to you, I don't know what I turn to, maybe I'm just being incredibly narrow-minded about it. But it's the same thing. Like when my both my parents um, had cancer when I was about 19 or 20, and I remember um, I don't have as firm an understanding of my dad's relationship with religion as I do my mom's. But I know that the thing that made my mom incredibly strong and having like the sunniest disposition in that time where she was continued to be the happiest person in the room was her religion. Yeah. And if she didn't have that, I wonder what she would have turned to or what she would have been like. So I have this deep and utmost respect for religion. And I think when we started to do the research into astrology, I can kind of understand why people would turn to things like this to find that meaning. Totally. My mum almost has such a sense of mindfulness when she goes to church and she goes every week and it's such a strong bond for her between her and the church. And I really admire that now. I don't think I had that my entire life growing up. I think I was, I am a cynic still. I don't believe in astrology. I don't believe in religion really, but I would probably give my mum a hard time over some of the stuff that she used to believe and think. And I really regret that now because ultimately I think, Religion and spirituality and things like astrology can be, and this is another quote from one of the stories I read, a gentle, unthreatening way of discussing deeper emotions. And if it gives people an outlet to do that and it gives them a safe space to talk about things that are really intrinsic and that they hold dear, that can't be a bad thing. Well, it's kind of like a trampoline, right? Mm. It's just something to leverage off. And for me, the parallels to religion here are really, really poignant. I would argue that many people who are religious can't picture the physical outline of a god. Like they believe the fundamentals of the religion that they believe in, but maybe not the physical. And I think for astrology, it's less about, and in religion, it's less about the literal nature of the stories, but the way they help you make sense of the world or yeah. start thinking um, and that's the stuff that matters not the literal meaning behind any of it I do have a question for you I read a few different studies that show that overwhelmingly women believe in astrology more than men twice as many women yeah. believe in astrology than men and the men that do tend to be gay I want to know why that is. Why do you think that might be the case that so many straight men reject this? And that's fine. I reject it too. But they almost don't have any time for it. Whereas women, we love this stuff. We share memes about it. Everyone's talking about Mercury and retrograde and Saturn return and I don't know, all these other kind of 
buzzwords that are now associated with this movement of young women partaking in astrology. I mean, I'm shooting from the hip here, which is never good. (laughs) Um, But I do think it comes down to how we're taught to process our emotions and the fact that processing our emotions is an incredibly important um, thing for us to do. Like it's the bedrocks of who we are as women. We are encouraged to think about who we are, the meaning behind all of that and why we're thinking and feeling the way we are. Men aren't encouraged to do that. And so they're not forced to overthink. There's that classic stereotype that women overthink. And women do overthink, I think, because we've always been encouraged to be in check with our emotions. Yeah. I wonder if it is well, just as you were talking about it, that astrology is so much about interpersonal relationships. It's about defining yourself by the way you connect with and your compatibility with other people. And women in our roles as mothers and daughters and sisters and all those things where we are the caregivers, we are really uh, building our lives around the lives of other people that we're forced to do that. And we're forced to evaluate and reevaluate those interpersonal relationships again and again and again. Well, it's that kind of that maternal sense too, in that women are stereotypically and traditionally the caregivers, the ones with the love, quote unquote, to give. So I feel like there's a lot to say about that. There was a really brilliant piece in SBS by Jono Revanche. I don't know if you read this, Mitch. No. I loved um, explanation for why astrology has also gained a heap of momentum. I wrote, it is also in effect colorblind, usually not taking into account sexuality, gender, or race. Astrology can describe personality traits and behavioral patterns without referring to our traumas and the identities we've sometimes necessarily built from them. Mm. So it's kind of not forcing you to evaluate or reevaluate your entire existence or all your flaws or everything that's ever happened in your life. And it's not psychoanalyzing you to the nth degree either. It's just pointing you in a direction where you can think about things a little more deeply. And the the second quote that I love from this story was that astrology moralizes in moderation without having any set agenda. Oh, I like that. I think we all need a bit of morality and moderation. Yeah, it's a bit egalitarian in that sense, isn't it? I really want to finish on one quote that I loved, which is from a staunch astrology supporter if that's even such a thing uh, who spoke to Rebecca Nicholson for her piece in The Guardian I already know that astrology works it's rather like someone saying kicking a ball around is boring and pointless okay but there are still billions of people around the world who get something out of it it's about meaning Mm. and if people find meaning from it and they enjoy it which so many people do I'm not going to point my finger and laugh and I'm not going to make a joke out of it. My star chart, or wait, birth chart, sorry, was pretty accurate. I mean, I don't believe it, but if you find meaning from this, go for it. You know, I agree. I actually really love it. And um, I'm on the hunt. You're on the hunt. I'm on the hunt for some like spirituality in my life now. Oh God, you're going to get a whole bunch of cult leaders. You may have seen a particularly condemnatory headline last week that read Emma Thompson, first class hypocrite. The article, which appeared in the purveyor of all things good and true, the Daily Mail, lambasted actress Emma Thompson for taking a first class flight and ordering beef carpaccio only days after appearing at a climate change rally, pleading with people to fly less and rethink their consumption of red meat. Zara, thoughts? (laughs) A little bit awkward, hey? Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) My first instinct is to laugh truthfully because I find this stuff genuinely funny. Just awkward instances of hypocrisy. Yeah. Like my first instance is to laugh because the world can be so serious sometimes. And that is kind of a funny thing that's happened. I want to read the full headline. Emma Thompson, the first class hypocrite. Actress is pictured dining on champagne and beef in 18,000 pound personal booth on carbon spewing BA plane jetting to New York days after lecturing us all to stop flying. It's unlike the Daily Mail to be so snarky. Carbon spewing. That's very hyperbolic from our old mates at the Daily Mail there. I get that the optics of this are really, really bad, but I also think, and I wonder if you'll disagree with me on this, I do think we need to check ourselves that yeah, she was a little bit hypocritical and that in one day she told people to fly less and rethink their consumption of red meat. She wasn't telling everyone to travel everywhere by foot and become vegan. She was telling people to think about the choices they make in everyday life. And Emma Thompson's response to the Daily Mail, I think, was really good in that we're often involved in situations where we will be hypocritical. But if we don't address climate change, we are failing our children and our grandchildren. To me, it's kind of like, what's the alternative? Do we want Emma Thompson to never say anything unless she's going to be absolutely perfect in how she acts it out. Is that what we want from people that if you're going to speak about climate change, well, you better live the greenest, best life in the history of the world. Don't we want a whole bunch of people doing things imperfectly because that's what creates real change? 
I'm completely split down the middle on this. I am completely split down the middle. Um, Rebecca Huntley wrote for ABC Life a pretty good story on this about that exact idea, Michelle, that we should be able to live imperfectly and if we don't, we're going to be in a world of trouble. And she said, we all leave messy, inconsistent lives trying to make the best decisions in an imperfect world. Mm. Why we should all try to do our best to make our personal everyday choices line up with our politics. We shouldn't flagellate ourselves if we don't always manage it. Guilt and shame heaped on the heads of individuals is neither fair nor helpful in the long-term fight for the climate. I love that. I do really love that in that guilt and shame doesn't get us anywhere. I also like this idea that we should try our best to make personal everyday choices line up with our politics, but we shouldn't be so harsh on ourselves if we don't. It reminds me a lot of um, conversations around feminism in that we're feminists, but we watch The Bachelor, or sometimes we're just bad feminists who shave every hair off our body because we don't, because that's what the patriarchy told us to do. I think there's so much merit in that argument and we need to talk about it more. Totally agree. This is funny actually because last week I deleted a post that someone tried to put in our Facebook group. Yes. And the post was basically a side-by-side collage that this person had made of two Instagram posts from the one influencer. This influencer is very prolific. I'm sure plenty of the people listening to this podcast would know exactly who she is. So in one photo, she's cleaning up rubbish on the beach with a bag in her hand and she's talking about the need to clean up our beaches and be sure about how we use single-use plastic and kind of check ourselves and check our behaviors every single day because it's not good for marine life. The next day, she was on Instagram sipping a juice from a single-use plastic cup. And the person who wanted to post this was trying to say that this influencer was very hypocritical and that she shouldn't be on the beach and kind of proselytizing about the benefits of climate change if then the next day she's going to be drinking out of single-use plastic cup. Which is also a good point. We had a conversation back and forth about this, about whether we would let this through. We did. So it wasn't black and white, but to me... I do fall on the side of the fence where we are not perfect, infallible humans in that anyone who says anything to promote good change will not be perfect and we can't expect people to be perfect. And the alternative in my mind is that we live in a world where nobody says anything because they're too scared to stand up for things that they truly believe in because they're worried they'll then be called out for a tiny little inconsequential mistake. Well, I think when Rebecca Huntley in this ABC Life story touched on how guilt and shame doesn't get us anywhere, I feel like it doesn't encourage or empower anyone to stand up for what they believe in or say anything at all. And I think having an opinion is very scary in this day and age. I mean, given we work in the business of opinions, I would be lying or it would be remiss of us to say that we weren't scared occasionally saying what we thought because people hold you to account to extreme lengths these days. Mm -hmm. However, all of that said, it's very easy to be a bandwagoner these days and to say things void of meaning as an exercise in personal branding. For example, for the environment, it's very easy for, for influencers to stand up and grandstand about the environment and about plastic for the sake of personal brand, to gain a whole bunch of momentum, to gain a whole bunch of followers and fans because they look like a good person that cares about the world, when in reality, maybe they're not actually practicing what they preach. And because there's so much grandstanding going on these days, I can't work out if it's a good or bad thing. Yeah, see, it's interesting that you say that because for me, I think if we're creating a a movement of people who are simply cognizant of something, simply aware that it's an issue but might not be living it out in their day-to-day lives the best they possibly could be, it's still the best alternative because that might be putting pressure on governments and brands and big industries to change their policies to fit in line with what society is saying. I don't really care if that particular influencer goes out and drinks from a single-use plastic cup because I think the benefit of educating tens of thousands of people about marine life, about about plastic, about the environment outweighs that one image with a plastic cup in her hand. I think I agree with you, but I think I am a little bit more interested and curious about this idea of being genuine online. Yeah, true. And I I don't like this idea that we could encourage anyone to say whatever they want because the benefit of saying that outweighs the damage that they do when they are a complete hypocrite about it. This isn't a free pass. In having a conversation now about the benefit of the doubt and being good enough. Are there a bunch of people who will listen to this and take that as permission to promise to never Photoshop, to never promote skinny tea, to pretend to be a warrior for the environment, when in reality they only intend to do that on a part-time basis? 
hiding, I guess, behind the notion that they are being good enough rather than perfect. And I know maybe I'm just being massively idealistic about it, but I do think we can't lose that sense of genuineness in the conversation and believing something wholeheartedly. Yeah, I think we both agree with each other in different ways. We do. I think what actually just came to mind as you were talking about that was it really annoyed me over Easter. There was a particular fitness influencer who posted a very zeitgeisty post saying, don't let anyone shame you about how many Easter eggs you eat today. Don't let anyone guilt trip you that if you have a couple of eggs, you need to go for a walk, have your day and enjoy your chocolate today. And it's funny because when I was scrolling down her feed two years ago on Easter, she posted something that day as well saying, remember, if you go and eat a couple of Cadbury eggs, this is how many steps you need to walk to walk it off. And yes, she might have educated herself and her views may have changed. But what I really didn't like about that post was that she was admonishing and criticizing the fitness influencers who were doing what she had done two years prior without acknowledging that she ever contributed to that type of culture. Well, exactly. And I think it's completely fine for you to educate yourself and to change your mind. We are huge proponents for people Mm -hmm. changing their mind, but you also have to be self-aware enough to acknowledge that your mind has changed and that maybe you did do damage in the past and this is how it's changed rather than pretending you've always been perfect. I, we have an obsession with perfectionism and absolutism, I think at the moment, and that does scare me. And I think it scares you a little bit too, with regards to doing this podcast. And if we ever say something about anything, will that mean that we have to live our lives like that forever? Like, are we backing ourselves into a corner? Because it's much easier in this day and age to say nothing at all. Yeah, I agree. I do want to wrap this segment with a really viral status from Carla Borthwick. You may have seen it around the internet, actually, Zara in that she spoke about this very conundrum. How much do we expect from people who want to stand up for a social justice issue? And we actually want to get Carla to read this out. This status is inspired by Peter Kelly, the author of Earth is Hiring, and I think Carla's words really struck a chord with thousands and thousands of people. To the person who uses metal straws to save fish but consumes animals, I'd like to say thank you. To the vegan who isn't aware of our homelessness problem, thank you. To the climate change activists who aren't attentive to fast fashion, thank you. To the girl who gives her old clothes to the disadvantaged but isn't educated on sex trafficking, thank you. To the guy who picks up rubbish on his way home from a surf but isn't well informed about male suicide rates, thank you. To the people who stand up for horse racing concerns but are uninformed of the cruelty of the dairy industry, thank you. To the positive Instagram influencer who hasn't cultivated a plastic-free lifestyle, thank you. To the grandparents who knit for sick children but aren't up to date with current race and homophobic issues, thank you. To the students that stand up for bullying but are unaware of the constant domestic violence epidemic, thank you. To the peace activists, feminists, stray dog adopters, teachers, volunteers, foster carers, recyclers, givers, doers and believers, I say thank you. We are all on a different path and we all see through different eyes. Current world issues that you are passionate about aren't always what other people are trying to change and that's okay. It's not everyone's job to save every part of the world but it is everyone's responsibility to thank every person who is doing their part to save the world. Don't critique, just appreciate. Don't judge, just educate. We're all trying our best. Thank you. I mean, it brings us to this kind of one overriding question about whether you should be public about your beliefs if you're not wholehearted about them, Michelle. I don't know exactly where I stand. I think we stand in a pretty similar ballpark, but I think we're as less sure as each other about it in that I do think if people believe things, I want them to feel empowered and encouraged enough to say them publicly. But that said, I want them to be confident enough, passionate enough and wholehearted enough in that belief that will mean that they're not going to be hypocrites about it and they're going to practice what they preach. Mm. See, I want to wrap this segment, but I also don't think I agree with that because Mm. even we've come (laughs) out and said that we want to make changes to our own attitudes towards the environment, but I would be lying if I said that since that segment, I haven't used a disposable coffee cup. That's different though, because we're not standing here preaching saying you guys need to be better at the environment for climate change. We've come onto these microphones and saying we're not good enough about the environment and we're trying to fix that. Yeah. Well, maybe it's just the way we communicate. It's not being public about it. It's the way you're public about it. Not saying like we need to stop doing X, Y, and Z. It's saying let's all get better and reduce the number of times we're doing X, Y, and Z. I think that's exactly it. I don't think we can be perfect all the time, but I think it's our communication that's often the issue. Mm, Interesting. Hey, that's all we've got time for. (laughs) 
I think it is, guys. Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode and being part of this community. As always, we cannot tell you how much we appreciate it. It's just Sarah and I behind two microphones in her home office doing this and your support means the actual world because it gives us both a job. I know, and we love our jobs a lot. We so do. thank you so much. It's my religion, apparently. <laughs> I mean, I think I said it was mine too, Michelle. <laughs> um, you guys can find us on Facebook at Shameless Podcast Community. You can also find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Do you have anything else to say? Stay tuned for two weeks' time. Stay tuned for two weeks' time. Less than two weeks now. It's about 10 days. Do we have some exciting things for you? Prepare yourself for all that clickbait. (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.